the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked in Science Podcast. Welcome to Baked in Science. I am Dr. Lin from Bakerpedia, the world's largest technical resource for commercial bakers. It's been 50 episode bakers. Yes, you, me, and dozens of guests. But sad to say, I'm no longer hosting these episodes. Why? Because we've experienced over 80% growth in Wikipedia and I have too many teams to manage now. However, the show must go on and Mark Florka will be carrying this torch going forward. He's a wonderfully experienced baker and a great conversationalist. So I have no doubt you'd be in good hands. Today, I have Luca Cervanti a lecturer from Lincoln University in New Zealand, revealing a new innovation called Equafaba that all bakers should consider in their toolbox. Hi, Luca. Yes, hi, Lynn, and thank you for the introduction. Uh, yes, my name is Luca Cerventi, and I'm a lecturer of food innovation in New Zealand at Lincoln University. So my job here is to teach uh, new product development and both at bachelor and master level and i also teach a beer class so it's the science of malting and brewing even though i'm a baker myself but actually beer it's and more bake. fun right beer is more fun <laughs> yeah so this is what i do as a job and i do a lot of research on the, what people know as aquafaba or as i recalled also Leluva, which is basically the wastewater from legume processing. So yes, yes. And I remember we mm -hmm. talked about that last year at IFT. Um, and that's where I met you. And that's where when you started your research, you were at the beginning of your research. And I was like, you know, challenging you because I was like, well, can you commercialize this? You know, let's talk when mm -hmm. you commercialize this. So that's what this conversation is for today. Did you commercialize it? Uh, We're getting there. So this thing started about, I think, five, six years ago as a cooking idea from a French chef. And then we had about four years of research. And now we're at the stage where we're trying to go from lab to industry. So we're looking at what happens when we upscale, of course. Mm -hmm. So go much larger volumes. And also the different processings and shelf life, all the different issues that we have with new food ingredients. So now we are at this stage where we are looking um, for opportunities to commercialize. We do have some contact, but obviously the only negative of being in New Zealand is that we have a smaller market to work with. Yeah. And, but the, the good thing is that there are people doing research on this all over the world. There are people in Canada, in the US, in Denmark, uh, they have been working on this. So definitely the world is going out there. And I think there are possibilities because there are so many different types of legumes. So it really depends on each country, what is the legume that they process the most. And then from there, we can take the conversation longer. So uh, before we continue our conversation, because Mark has a lot of questions to ask on this technology, uh, what in aquafaba can replace the function of eggs? 
Okay, so it's a mixture of things. It's protein, but it's also fiber and phytochemicals. And we noticed that because we tried different type of aquafaba and the protein really helped with the volume, mm-hmm. but so do some, because it's a lot of soluble protein and albumin, but so do the phytochemicals because they stabilize the foam. Mm. So it's quite easy to make a nice foam to improve the volume, for instance, of cake and bread. Then the other thing the eggs have is the gelling ability. And in aquafaba, we believe it's probably the type of fiber that is found in there, which is mostly soluble, but not entirely. So that gives a nice gelling ability. And that's what makes the difference from other ingredients that either foam or gel. So this has a nice combination. Um, and then also in terms of color, is not that different. And we tried that both in sweet and savory products, and it did work very well. I guess, you, like you said, it's from, a, from the waste product. So um, where, where a lot of the interest is in, in Canada and the United States has been growing, and I imagine especially probably the, also in the Middle East and stuff, is that hummus has become extremely popular. Um, and so it's a lot of this cooking of chickpeas for hummus processing. And so is it that type of wastewater or are you producing it or do you have to change your processing to, to achieve the, the type of protein and fiber extraction that you're looking for? No, it is that type of process. So in our research, we always decided to go looking at what in food industries make. So mm-hmm. we haven't focused too much, for instance, on, on cans because that's more of a household issue. So yeah. we look at soaking, with, and the soaking process is the same for pretty much all industries. And then we look at a few ways of boiling, whether mm-hmm. it's you know boiling to make hummus or boiling and draining to make tofu, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so this wouldn't change the process. I think the challenge for the companies would be that instead of throwing away the wastewater and treat it, they will have to keep it. So the only mm-hmm. change will be actually at the, toward the end of, you know, diverting this liquid somewhere else and store it as opposed to just go down the drain. Have you seen any ability to, to concentrate it, like to, uh, to remove some of the water and to get a, a higher concentration of the proteins or things like that? Yes, yes. That's that? one thing we looked at. And whether it's drying or other ways, definitely concentrating it. And one option is to go full on to a powder because mm-hmm. if we assume that it's a waste product and it's cheap, then we can afford to dry it. The other option yeah. is instead of drying fully, to go maybe toward the concentrate, yeah. so just remove some of the water. Don't you lose functionality when you dry it? Uh, it depends on the drying method. So in terms of functionality, the only thing is we, is to control the temperature because mm-hmm. if you dry a high temperature, then some of the protein might denature and it might actually cook it, the color might get darker. Uh, but if we keep I got temp- somebody you need to talk to for commercializing this using a, a low temperature treatment. I'll hook you up. Yeah, I was going to probably spray drying is probably going to be better than drum. No, drying. not really spray drying. Drying it's an, it's another method. So Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one of the things when, when, when this was sort of starting the, it, to gain some popularity here uh, in, in North America, um, we were taking, or I was taking a look at it in, in our labs where the company I was working for, and we looked at simply just draining off the, um, the liquid from canned retorted beans. Um, 
And so we compared uh, chickpea, navy bean, pinto bean, black bean, and, and red beans, um, compared them all for, for whipping. And we just made a straightforward meringue, just uh, as if you were whipping egg whites and sugar. And we, we made a standard meringue for comparison and things like that. Um, to be brief, one of the things that we found is that the, the light-colored legumes, in other words, the, the chickpea and the navy bean, they worked very similar, but all of the other ones did not work very well. The black bean was very poor. Um, it didn't seem to have enough protein uh, in it to, to whip up, to hold, right? Um, the other thing we looked at is um, the, the, the beans that our company was processing at the time is they process in a jet cooking process. And for some reason, it does not extract the protein. Um, the, the water after the jet cooking was just water. It didn't have enough protein and it wasn't worth trying to, uh, we had it analyzed and everything. We, we, we could not concentrate it. We, there wasn't enough there to, to be able to commercialize an aquafaba uh, thing. So that's why I was kind of curious if, if you're doing uh, anything special, but you know, either you're probably just cooking it, like boiling it in a sense in a, in a kettle or something like that. Right? Yes, we're boiling and we did notice, especially for chickpeas, is that during the first part of the boil, when the, the boil is more vigorous, actually we noticed the shell breaking and mm -hmm. that's when we believe the most of the protein leached out. Ah. So if it's like what it takes basically is a cooking process that actually will break the shell. So for mm -hmm. instance, soybeans are much higher in protein than chickpea, but yeah. the soybean water didn't give us as much protein. And the soybeans, after cooking, they were still pretty much intact. They didn't break okay. down as easily. Mm -hmm. So it's more about that, probably. Yeah, and the, the jet cooking process is more like steam just to uh, um, basically completely sterilize it and cook it through quickly so that it can be uh, dr you know, dried up easily and, and ground into a powder and things like that. So, so let me um, ask a fundamental question. You know, Mark, you're from a milling background. Look, you're, mm -hmm. from, you're from a, a processing background. Why can't we just do a wet extraction of these aquafaba fibers? Break, break the whole thing apart and just extract it. <laughs> it, it may work. Well, I've, um, well, the only ones I've had opportunity to work with were pre-cooked already. So with the pre-cooked ones, because of the, the starch damage and things, it, it just did not work. Uh -huh. um, and, um, but there is a, I saw a presentation at a conference a number of years ago. There is a company in Canada, out in Western Canada, that has a proprietary chickpea grinding process. Um, where they are grinding raw chickpeas. And uh, they actually had a, a baker there demonstrating making um, French macaron without egg um, and just using this, this chickpea powder, this ground chickpea powder and water. Um, it did eventually produce a product very similar to one made with egg. I mean, it was there was a difference, a uh, noticeable difference, um, but not poor. It was just that it was different. It was not quite as super light. Um, but the, the other difference was that rather than taking about five or six minutes to whip the meringue like you would with a raw egg, it took about 20 minutes to whip. Um, so it, it's, uh, it just a, was a, a longer process for, for the protein to be able to capture those bubbles. Now, that might be related to this chickpea powder 
that maybe there's too much fiber interfering or something. I, I don't know. Um, but it was that that is one other thing that has been trying to capture, uh, you know, in the, going in the, the gluten free and the the uh, the vegan direction. Right. Um, yeah. And that's uh, why I'm really interested in um, this technology, Luca, the uh, vegan and the high protein trend is actually stronger than a year before. Even here in New Zealand, I notice in the supermarkets how there are more and more plant-based on vegan products. And to link to that, I noticed how a lot of them now they're focusing on pea protein, for instance. Mm -hmm. A few years ago it was soy, now it's chickpea and pea. Mm -hmm. The good thing with peas is that they often come as split peas. And even just soaking them give us a lot of solids, a lot of protein. Oh, interesting, yeah. And when it comes about boiling, we don't need to worry about breaking a shell because it's already split in half. And so the peas, actually, the processing of peas does release a lot really? of protein. That and is very interesting, yeah. We got, we even tried it, for instance, in some vegan product. We tried some like frozen dessert. It was like a coconut type of ice cream. And we look at things like melting rate over time. And we did notice effect with this ingredient, not with others. Mm -hmm. And so the pea in a way makes it easier to uh, extract protein and soluble fiber, but also other nutrients. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of industries that work on peas. So that's sort of thought that could be maybe the easiest way to start. There is a huge industry here in the US working with pea protein. Yeah, there's a big race for pea because um, it's, it's the closest to um, soy and egg for uh, protein digestibility and um, it's non-GMO. Um, so that is the, the, the other thing that is the big attraction. So, um, and it's not soy, quite simply. There's, there's, yeah, there's people know. who still it's believe that if soy. you eat too much soy, you're going to get man boobs and things like that. I mean, yeah, it's a, they're out there. Roquette, ADM, Cargill, they've, they've all been on there the race to yeah. be. And uh, um, the, the, uh, basically the big challenge uh, within that has been the flavor profile. And uh, um, so a couple of companies pretty much figure they've got that nut cracked. And uh, there's going to be, once, once COVID starts to settle down, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting peep products coming on the market. And it's interesting to hear that the, the aquafaba is something that could fit into that as well as, as a way of extracting. So that's uh, it's going to be it's going to be a great opportunity for aquafaba. It's going to slide right in there, right? And yeah. fit into that category beautifully. Yeah. So, so Luca, what products have you used this aquafaba in? So we tried it in bread, both regular and gluten free. Because before being in academia, I used to work for a gluten free company. So I. I got used to try to find alternatives to hydrocolloids that are cheaper. Mm. And so we tried it in gluten-free bread and we did manage to improve the volume and the softness. And we tried it also in meringue just to make a case whether it works or not. We tried it in mousse because we wanted to try a raw product. And that was interesting. I thought it wouldn't work, but because of the smell, the bitty smell, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's there. The thing about mousse is that it requires a lot of whipping. So after uh, whipping, actually, <laughs> most of the smell went away. Wow. Sweet. We tried ice cream and uh, crackers. So crackers behave very different from bread because there's no yeast, there's no worry about volume, and it has, it's supposed to be crunchy rather than soft. So we noticed some anti-staling properties for some of these liquids. 
Mm-hmm. Great. What's the next step? How can we help you? So the next step will actually uh, be taken into the industrial level. And now that we made the case that we know what's the composition, we know what are the functionalities and applications, we want to actually commercialize. And there are a lot of opportunities. So it doesn't have to be all type of wastewater, whether it's soaking, boiling or sprouting. It doesn't have to be all legumes, but uh, it's about reaching out industries that are processing things like hummus or tofu or even canned product and they industries they have this type of wastewater and instead of spending money to treat it before discarding an environment they could actually make money by using it and that could be used to make a texturizer but also maybe to make like we said earlier plant-based products vegan products or um try actually new product development of, of all sorts anti-staling enzymes foaming emulsifiers so there are a lot of opportunities well wow, that's and awesome yeah. probably the best approach could be to start with a manufacturer or some legume based product because the way we don't have to carry the liquid from one factory to the other we could just try on a smaller scale first but yeah that is the idea right now yeah right. so yeah after this call i'll put in contact with the person i know who does th- that kind of processing and also um if anybody else out there has any kind of uh aquafaba they're trying to get rid of anywhere around the world contact yeah. luca <laughs> yeah. i know there's, there's there's a number of processors up in michigan who who just cooked chickpeas and shipped the they shipped the, chi- the cooked chickpeas to different uh, companies who then process it to make hummus so a lot of the hummus producers are not cooking their own chickpeas anymore they're buying it from people who can so, purchase it as a commodity and just you know right cook it so on they're mass, throwing right? that water yeah. they're throwing away that yeah. water yeah. you know so this is a great sustainability story so hopefully yeah. somebody picks it up well, thank you for coming on with us today, Luca. All the best to you, and hopefully we'll hear another update here very soon. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure to see you all. Excellent. Great meeting you, Luca. And let's continue this conversation on the forums, okay? Yeah. I'm just going to move this onto a discussion thread so that everybody can contribute to it and ask you more questions. Okay, Luca? Very good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, another interesting session on innovation with something that the food industry is throwing away. I can't wait for the next chapter and I can't wait for Luca to be Aquafaba. Eulis. <laughs> to keep up with this conversation, please join us at the Baker Forum. It's free. So join today at bakerpedia.com forward slash academy. Before I end, I want to thank our sponsors. Top Taste Onions, Wacker, Mechatherm, and Flowerline. Thank you. Your continued sponsorship have made Bakerpedia available for all bakers out there. To find out more about our sponsors, go to our sponsor showcase on bakerpedia.com. Till the next time, bakers, I promise I'll be back as a guest with Mark. Bake it, Faba, you less. <laughs>